0: season in a pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication.
1: This week, we look in the rearview mirror at Covington Catholic, the Florida shootout you might not have heard about, and the new Netflix Doc Fire Festival. We'll deep dive on communicating with empathy and look on the horizon at this year's Super Bowl commercials. What makes the grade and why? And let's look ahead into what today's rose garden announcement means for on the horizon hey welcome ladies and gentlemen i'm your host Sean mann and with me today are john Schofield and chris savello gentlemen i hope you had a great week lots going on let's get into it as always we're committed to doing our part here at provision advisors to deliver the hottest takes in communication cosmetics and control so let's get going and doing what we do best as you already know first up is rearview mirror where we look at the issues from the previous week gentlemen Here's what's back there. First up, Covington Catholic, who uh, wants to take the first stab. Johnny Boy?
2: I don't know what to say about this other than it was a really unique viewpoint into the fact that you have a certain reaction on one side and a counter reaction on the other. I, I myself, I really believed that as, as a teenager, my, my dad would have beat my ass down had I, no matter who it was, had I shown that sort of disrespect to someone. Now I I know that there are differing viewpoints about what the video showed and did not show, but how about that commanding, literally commanding the environment for the, for the entirety of the week? Um, I really felt like it took away from the importance of Martin Luther King day I think that it it's showed. True. I think it showed exactly how divided the country is. is That you had a bunch of white kids with MAGA hats on, shouting shit, and and yet there's still this there's still this uh, temptation out there for people to try to justify it, to say, oh no, they might have just been trying to get their point across. Well, in my opinion, bullshit. Um, I think they're just a bunch of bullies, and I think that they're just trying to to showcase their own um, their own views that that I don't believe reflect what the country believes in, and, and that's where I'm at. John, thank yeah. you, Chris. Let me see if I can tee you up
1: here for what for yeah. what uh, what you want to say. I was very interested. I think for what we deliver here on on three Seasons a pod was the media, the national media reaction to this whole thing and what you know john he saw what he saw as did a million other people the initial video there was the reaction to that and then there was the reaction um from a from a from a different uh point of view of 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 the nation which is john gets to the point of what you're talking about that, that just shows the divide so we saw that initial video and then, I don't know, maybe, was it, maybe it was 24 hours and then we started to see a different narrative pop up. And then we saw that national media reaction to that. And again, John, like you said, that you know, it captured the, the week more or less until we got to obviously today. Um, but let's talk about, Chris, I know, I'm sure you wanna um, dive into what that, what that looked like, what that entire arc looked like in the media.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, I thought that that's a that's a real good tee up. Um, for me, it was you, you know there were two op eds in the New York Times that really. I I don't know. I mean, they they resonated with me. The first was by uh, Frank Bruni on Tuesday, and then um or I have my dates mixed up. Monday uh, evening there was a David Brooks op ed, and then Tuesday there was a a Frank Bruni uh, op ed. Uh, Frank Bruni is awesome, by the way. Yeah. I, I, well, absolutely. And so. You know, Bruni called Covington the pundit apocalypse, um, and uh, I want to read a quote because I think it, it captures exactly where we are. He said, our hasty condemnation of these teenagers reveals the cold truth about hot takes. We react to news by trying to fit it into the argument that we routinely make, the grievance that we usually raise, the fury or angst or sorrow that we typically peddle Um, and I I thought for me, that's exactly, you know, the more I absorbed it, the more I watched the coverage. Um, I mean, the fact that these guys, I mean, they could have been, um, they could, these, these kids right, wrong or different. They could have been rescuing orphans and the fact that they had those MAGA hats on, um, you know kind of set up how the discussion was going to go you, you know did they save the orphans fast enough you, you know should they have saved the orphans i i, I mean you, you know and then add to it that, john to your point the fact that um at least the initial video really portrayed the the one kid as being um rude and, and disrespectful uh, Insolent. than him. Yeah. And yeah. Or, like, dude, I, I'm
2: sorry, but that video, no matter what the rest of the of the narrative says, it, it, the way he was right. looking at him, the way that he was
3: acting, speaks volumes. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it does speak volumes. But but I think, I mean, you know, back to Bernie's point. I mean, I think that's it. it just feels like that's where we are right now, right? It doesn't matter what the actual facts are. Now we're going to jump right in, and we've got our positions already uh, teed up, and you know it's almost like uh, pundit madlibs, right? Uh, and, and just fill in the the facts of the latest uh, social media or TMC video, um, and uh, you're 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 off and running. Um, Bash. Before I throw it back to you, I I do think that you know David Brooks asked a, a really good question in his uh, in his op ed. You know, he asked, "Will Covington Catholic will this fiasco?" change social media um and you know he asked in, in this technology uh a single moment is more important than a life story and then he goes on to talk about you know is that is that right should it sh- you, you know should the single moment outweigh the the facts and you kind of combine the two sentiments from Bruni and from Brooks and um and that's kind of where i am i i, I mean wh- what are we doing uh, how, how how do we get here and 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 more importantly how do other people communicate in a responsible way in this environment without being sucked into uh, this pit? Well, I want to
2: know what I I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to know what sort of advice the family got before they put that kid with Savannah Guthrie. Like, yeah, this is what I would want to do. This is what I am striving to do with people who are thrust into that environment. And to say, all right, how do I put this person who is in a public affairs nightmare or public affairs scenario, how do I put them in front of the media in the right way and make them say the right thing? And I watched that, kid, that kid's Today Show interview, and I just I came off thinking that he was still just an entitled little selfish prick, and, and I didn't like it. And, and that doesn't mean that his public affairs staff did it wrong. I, I'm just saying that, it, how does that happen? Like, wh- who do they call? Where's that, where's that 911 uh, number for those people you... when they're like, hey, my kid was just on national TV all day long because he was staring down someone and, and he was made to look like a racist, insolent asshole. How do we fix this? I would have loved to have been in that room, to have been in that room and advised that kid before he went on TV. I
1: I, uh, I actually think that that call goes the other way. I don't think they have to make any calls. I think right. <laughs> yeah. I think I think there's a telephone call that 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 finds them. Uh, gentlemen, let me let me offer this. Uh, Chris, you, you mentioned that that quote from David Brooks, uh, in this technology, a single moment is more than a life history. Uh, and does this fiasco actually change social media? I will go back to um, the first week of January, where in the news was seven-year-old Jasmine Barnes from Texas, uh, young girl who was uh, just so tragically uh, killed uh, in a car uh, with her mother uh, and, and friends driving on a Texas road. And the narrative there was a hey, there's an you know there's an all-points bulletin put out for a white male age 40, um, you know, with a shotgun, and and that 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 drove the, the media conversation only to find out that um, the suspects that were arrested were two black males. Now, say what you want about uh, you know, a, the uh, alleged um, suspects here, but it, I, uh, for me personally, it made me pause to look at my interactions and, and how I devour or, or, or take in media. So, you, so there is a pause before you move forward with whatever your narrative is. Uh, when we were able to look at the larger picture here, uh, regardless of, uh, of your affiliations or whether your political affiliations or religious affiliations or what have you, and more stories began to, to paint themselves instead of the, that clip we saw of the, um, the youngster from Covington versus the elder uh, Nathan Phillips gentleman there on the uh, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, we got the whole a, a large a large I shouldn't say whole the larger picture of uh, the gentlemen from the Hebrew Israelites, um, the Covington Catholic uh, students, Nathan Phillips there banging the drum, and then we moved to the media response, and then ultimately the, the interview with Savannah Guthrie. Um, so you just you just saw more of a picture, and and you could see there was a whole lot more going on. Hey, look. I wasn't there, I don't know if either the two of you were there. Um, There was a video that came out probably 48 hours afterwards that showed some children, students, don't know exactly who they were, uh, making some uh, comments to a couple of young ladies walking uh, on or near the mall. That just sort of added to the story. Uh, Again, we weren't there. Uh, We only had the clip that we saw and then everybody's take on it. Um, And just all that to say is, Ah, it's amazing, amazing how the story is driven based on what you can piece together and how it fits your, your, uh, your, your history, uh, what, what you have come to know. Um, I, saw, I saw on that boy's face something that spoke to me. Um, some people saw something else. Um, it, it, it remains to me quite... Uh, um, Dare I say a conundrum um, for you know a conundrum of interpretation? Uh, what we feel is is uh, a smug attitude on, on one side, or or someone standing where they have every right to stand uh, on the other. Gentlemen, I feel like we could talk about this forever. Um, that was just one thing that was in the rearview mirror uh, this week—a sh- a shortened week uh, with a holiday for for Dr. Martin Luther King uh, that may have almost. I won't say it went unnoticed, but obviously there was there was other news uh, that may have overshadowed it. Uh, and speaking of overshadowing, gentlemen, a deadly shooting in Florida takes place, and because of the news cycle, uh, five people are dead. And I don't know if anybody really noticed. Uh, anyone care to comment?
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's um, if it's shooting fatigue uh, from an audience standpoint or from a media standpoint, or if it's you know crowded. Uh, information environment or or a combination of both but either way i mean the idea that five women are killed at a florida bank and it it really doesn't rise above uh, the covington issue and the shutdown and lanny davis with michael cohen and you know today's arrest of uh the the latest trump friend uh it it just uh man i it, it it, you know, it, from a, from a selling standpoint, I mean, and I, I you know, I may be uh, overly cynical, but if something of this magnitude doesn't break into the news cycle, you know, given all the scrutiny that that shootings have had, what uh, what hope does other quote unquote news have to break? Yeah, through? they got to pick and choose when you
2: got killed nowadays. Be right. smart about it. Right. Listen, last up in this
1: segment of Rearview Mirror, uh, Netflix documentary, Fire Festival, got a quite a bit of buzz. Uh, If you don't recall, the Fire Festival, which was to take place in uh, April and May of 2017, was a music festival, a proposed music festival, uh, first of its kind, uh, but never, never took place, as Jay-Z says, grand opening, grand closing. And the, the, the sort of thing to focus on here is how young influencers um, across the globe intersect with social media and truth and advertising. Uh, if you had a chance to take a look at this documentary, uh, it featured promoter Billy McFarlane and rapper uh, Ja Rule uh, coming together to actually create this music festival, which was going to be this um, one, one of a kind event to take place in the Bahamas a they had bought an island uh once owned by pablo escobar uh purchased this island and they were gonna have a, a fantastic music festival they took the top models from across the globe put them down there for uh a few days about a week or so uh did all this fabulous marketing and through the advent of instagram and hashtags were able to pump this out uh, to a bunch of uh, young folks, millennials out there that were drawn to the hashtags and the imagery about the festival, well, long story short. everything just sort of blows up in the promoter's face. Uh, this festival never happens. Uh, a bunch of folks find themselves in the Bahamas stranded with um, un- under under fraudulent circumstances. Um, the The documentary is is really incredible if you can sit through. Uh, the hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes worth. Uh, and it just really goes to show you how social media uh, in in the right or wrong hands um, and a little bit of stretching the truth here can uh, can lead people into a lot of trouble because right now uh, that promoter, Billy McFarlane, is sitting in an upstate prison in New York uh, for up to six years. So again, just a, a fascinating look um, at the world of uh, modeling social media music and, and, and all the things we love. But, uh, if there's no truth in it, you're not going to get very far off the ground.
3: Hey, Bash, I had, uh, I had one, uh, one quick one, John, and then uh, I'll throw it to you. Um, in addition to what you said uh, with regards to social media and stretching the truth and you know, that, the tension there, um, I, this is becoming more and more, uh, common where you have these, uh, longer form documentaries, um, done by younger folks, and they go right to Netflix as a way of highlighting issues and, and making news. So for everybody that said, hey, it's all on social media, it's all short form, you know, if it's not 90 seconds or less, good luck. Uh, these, you know, Netflix and the long form documentaries uh, on some of these, uh, you know, pay to watch channels have really changed the way people are able to consume these issues and, and uh, consume the lessons that uh, the movie makers want them to take away from it.
1: Definitely. Definitely. John.
3: Isn't that interesting though, that,
2: that people really want less in terms of information in terms of social media. You know, they, they don't read newspaper articles anymore. Facebook is too much information. Twitter became too much, so now we just want Instagram photos and a quick caption. But then, when it comes to actual entertainment from a movie level, that 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 the demand signal is for a little bit more information, um, and 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 that longer documentary type of uh, type of characterization of what's going on. It's, it's interesting to me. Um, I love documentaries. I hate fiction. I love reading nonfiction. And I love watching documentaries. And for me, I wish more people would do this. Uh, gentlemen, good topics, one and all.
1: Folks, we're going to take a break and come back with Deep Dive. You're listening to Three Season a Pod.
0: Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead.
1: All right, we're back to three season of five. Thank you for hanging with us. We're gonna jump right into deep dive. We're gonna take a deep, deep, deep look into uh, one particular subject. This week, we're talking about the Harvard Business Review for all you intellectual, intellectuals out there, we're going to go into the secret of leading organizational organizational change. Excuse me, easy for me to say, leading organizational change with empathy. All right, let's get started.
3: Hey, so I um I, I saw this. This is from uh, December, uh, and it's by a lady named Patty Sanchez. She's the chief strategy officer at Duarte Inc. Um, and uh, we'll put a link in the. Uh, in the write-up for the podcast, if folks want to go back and read it. Uh, but the idea of, co- you know, communicating to audiences th- uh, with empathy, um, I, you know, a- as a way of being effective, I- I'm not sure that that's revolutionary, but I thought the way she broke it down and um, the tactical look that she took and how you do that um, really got me thinking about, some of our experiences in the Navy and working with senior leaders, it got me thinking about the news cycle. Um, it got me thinking about, you know, where folks are using empathy as a uh, powerful influence and way to hook their audiences and where the lack of empathy has the, uh, the opposite effect. And so real quick, just a rundown of the article and then kind of toss it to you guys to talk about things that uh, we've seen in our careers and what's going on in the news. Um, Patty's key points were, you know, she said uh, how information is communicated to employees during a change matters more than what information is communicated communicated. So it's the, mm-hmm. the how in this case is more important than the what. Um, she, her, she postulates that a lack of audience empathy when conveying news about, you know, an organization transform, transforming uh, can cause it to fail right, right off uh, the, the bat. Before you even get into the value of the proposition, um, how, you, uh, how you put that information out uh, can be a, a showstopper. She goes on to say that studies of organizational change show that leaders across the board agree um, and that, you know, she cites a bunch of numbers that talk about that, uh, leaders saying that if you want to lead a successful transformation, you have to communicate, uh, with empathy. Um, yes. and that, and that the truth is most leaders don't know how to do it. And, and I would say that in our time in the Navy, working with some really smart, really experienced leaders, um, I, I would agree with that, uh, that only a few, uh, really knew how to channel their, you know, inner human And, uh, and be empathetic when communicating, uh, to, uh, to the internal audience. Um, she talks about three strategies. She talks about profiling your audience at every stage, evolving your understanding of, of empathy and not just taking that, you know, traditional, uh, marketing and advertising approach to, you know, hey, these are the models for my audience. I've got the stodgy white guy. I've got the hip this person. I've got the millennial. I've got the that. And, you, you know, tailoring your communication to the typical audiences and looking for them to overlap. She says, better to look at um, the stages of empathy and how the audience is. Uh, how their understanding of the issue will evolve, um, as the empathy, uh, changes from, uh, both their, their ability to feel that empathy and the communicator's ability to, uh, to communicate it. Number two, she said, tell people what to expect. Uh, you know, telegraph the punch. Uh, don't just say what the outcome is, but really kind of break it down step by step so that it, it, it sort of follows that arc of empathy. Uh, and then finally, um, involve individuals at all levels. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it can't be all about, you know, the leader, whether it's the C-suite in business or the E-ring in the Pentagon, you've got to bring that audience in and make them feel like they're a part of this, uh, where you're going to speak over and around them. So I I thought it was an interesting model to kind of consider some of the things that, uh, that are going on today. I mean, I think we could go right back to uh, the shutdown, um, and really look at how the commandant of the Coast Guard, uh, communicated both to, um, his Coast Guard men and women and to the American public about where the Coast Guard uh, fell out in the shutdown. Uh, you know, maybe we could start there and talk about communicating with empathy.
1: Uh, I would say, and John, I'm sorry, let me, let me just jump in with this right here while it's on my mind. Oh, yeah. I'll, give the, I'll give the floor to you. Um, one thing Admiral Greener, Admiral Jonathan Greener, uh, Chief of Naval Operations, um, would say was that our people were our most important asset. And I'm sure you gentlemen have heard that said before. And that that's exactly what the Commandant of the Coast Guard I, I believe was getting at. I mean, just the emphasis on the fact that individuals, each and every day, whether you wear the uniform or you are a family member of a person who wears the uniform because you're right there in the fight with us and you cannot treat people as less than the whole person that they are, and expect that the job is going to get done,
2: I think that it it brings into into the conversation an interesting dynamic in military leadership, and everyone throws around the word empathy now and i'm and i 'm just as guilty. I use empathy way too much, but i 'll tell you what 's different from uh, regular leadership and deployed leadership is that you have a lot of people who are embedded with their people on deployments when they're like six months through and underway and you're living on board the ship with the people you lead or you're on deployment you're in Fallujah you're at uh, a FOB in Afghanistan and you're actually in it with your people what makes it more difficult for people in in day-to-day jobs and what I see in state government is that you can feign empathy, you can you can say that you're in it with them, um, but then you go home every night. You coach your kid's soccer game. You you go to trivia night or whatever the hell you have going on in your personal lives, and it's tougher for for you to actually be in the fight with them. And and I think for veterans, and I'm not trying to turn this into a veteran podcast, but I think for veterans, that's what they find hard. Uh, in, in civilian practice and civilian um, companies is to get that esprit de corps and that, and that empathy where out there in the bush or out there in a deployed environment or out there on your ship, the kind of leadership you get by someone being embedded with you and being in the shit with you 24-7, vice being in a job where you can just go home every night uh, it's, it's harder for people to adapt to that. And that's what leaders need to do is they need to in, embed themselves in the lives of their people, despite the fact that they're not underway 24-7 with them and whatnot. Yeah, but Seeing John, the con- Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Chris, go
1: ahead. I was
3: just going to say, I mean, John, you, you brought up a couple of things that I just want to uh, kind of uh, unpack. Um, I, I think you hit on um, the level of leadership and the difficulty um, in which it is to maybe be empathetic. I feel like there should be a a ding when we say that word, empathetic ding. You you know, see how many times we do that. Um, Yeah, it happens
2: all the time and no one means
3: anything by it. Well, I I think in this case, you know, the level in which you are, certainly if you're a manager and you work on the floor uh, of a factory or you work on the floor uh, um, with your people, um, I think it's probably a lot easier to connect to them when you're communicating. I think the challenge and, and what, um, what Sally was getting after was the higher you go, um, the harder it is to connect your, your message to the actual uh, audience. And if you're unable to do that, the initiative that you're trying to communicate doesn't stand a chance. Bash, you mentioned Admiral Greenard. I, I, I've heard that phrase, you know, my entire 20-year career in the Navy. People are right. our number one asset. Um, how many times, how many leaders did you believe when they said that, right? I mean, for me, right. I was a right. very small group of people that actually made me believe that message because they were able to connect with me or connect with the audience um, and in some cases it actually had the opposite effect because I was left feeling like that dude doesn't care about me or, you know, or she doesn't know anything about me. And, and, you know, they actually had the, uh, the, the opposite effect versus that leader that was able to connect with me, that was able to bring me in. Um, I mean, talk about a leader that didn't connect or doesn't know how to connect. Uh, how about Wilbur Ross this week? Unbelievable. Uh, I, I mean, I I saw this article and then I heard his comment and I thought that you were get alone. Right. I mean, all, all you have to do.
1: And I said this, um, to more than once, let his, let his comments just go on a loop and the tone deafness and just utter like, who, first of all, Mr. Commerce secretary, who are you to dictate to, You know, Joe and and Joan of America about how to uh, spend their money, save their money,
2: live their lives, you know, put food on the table. I mean, come on. Here's the issue is is that you can see it really quick when people have not led before. Um, and, And it doesn't matter what you say to a national TV audience or whether you're on a remote interview or whether you're on a morning show or whether you're just talking to a group of people on the campaign trail, you can really quickly figure out people who have led before and not led before. And that guy is not led. You do not say that shit. If you've actually had people's well-being in your hands before. And, and, and I think that's the point. And, 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 and the point is, hey, you need to actually
3: mean it. Two points. One, how great is it when you encounter the man or woman that is a, is the real deal, is a, is a fantastic human being, is a great leader, and then it's just a matter of not teaching this person a life lesson, um, but it's just a matter of helping them get their mature, self-aware thoughts together and deliver them across the right medium to reach the goal that they want. I mean, how great does that feel? Um, you know, thankfully for us in the communication business, that doesn't happen very often or we'd be out of uh, we'd be out of a job. But, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but on uh, on the Wilbur Ross front, just don't say anything. Right. Recognize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, hey, my my experience, I can't even I can't even equate uh, from my experience what these folks are going through. So I'm just going to be quiet. Uh, and, and you, you know, avoid uh, confirming what a lot of people already think. Well,
1: here's what I know. Uh, Laura Trump and Larry Kudlow, they, they they spoke and said what they had to say about empathy. And then Wilbur Ross said, hold my Dom Perignon, please. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking with us. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Three
2: Season in a Pod. Three C's.
0: At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues, which directly impact relationships and market identity.
1: So we're back with three Season apart, and back for three support. seasons. There you go. We've reached the point in the show where we look out on the horizon. Today, I think we all know what we're looking at, the government shutdown. I am very proud to announce today that we have reached a deal to end the shutdown and reopen the federal government. All right. Listen, today's Rose Garden announcement had a few things to chew on, win, lose or draw, and perception is reality. So who wants to be first up and take a crack at what we heard today?
3: I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised it happened as quick as it as it did. But um, I, I guess with the, um, you know, the news earlier in the day about uh, air travel problems with the fact that a number of Republicans broke ranks. Yay um, LaGuardia. Right. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I think some of the other issues kind of stacking on top, uh, I I think that that's what drove um you know, drove the decision. Now, the question is, is that are we right back here in three weeks? Is it really over? February fifteenth. I, do I, I, I don't
2: think it's really over. Why?
1: Why would you even consider sending people or sending the nation through what they just endured the last 35 days? How is that a win? Even with the clip that we just heard, which, which happened within the first, I don't know, what, 10, 10 seconds uh, of, the, of the news conference today, that was, that was the news. And then it was, I don't know, the, the, the state of our national security, tr- 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 truthful or not, um, take it for what you want. But just the messaging, what does it mean? to put people back through what they just endured. I mean, uh, you know, look, I was lucky enough uh, to be um, receiving my paycheck, but I could still empathize with the Coast Guard uh, instructors that I deal with up there having to, you know, stand with them, look at them every day.
2: How do you honestly dork this up? How do you, how do you mess it up this bad that that you are getting called out on both sides, that your approval rating is down the, 40s which is crazy I mean it, it, I've actually heard down in the 30s which might actually just be me listening to left-wing pinko Kami podcast but it, it's I'm glad that it's over but for it to go this far I think is a harbinger of things to come that that these fights are going to continue to go on that 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 now you've, you've cut deeper and known that it doesn't actually commit death. You know, every kid, when, when they were testing their parents, like, let me test them this much, let me test them this much, let me go this much further. And they knew that they could go only so far before they got their asses spanked. And, and now I, I almost think that we're at that point where we have seen so much utter dysfunction that now if they open up the government permanently the next fight is just going to test these waters that much more and it makes me it makes me really really unhappy my issue is this i I i i don't think that any of them give a shit i i think that they're all up in their ivory towers and this is cynical and this is where i'm at now and and i guess i'll just play this part i'll get Typecast on this podcast that that I, I really don't believe anything. I, I don't believe that they care. I don't believe that they're doing the right thing. I don't believe that they even understand what the right thing is. That they're all just playing power games. That Nancy Pelosi played her Queen of Spades. At a time that Donald Trump and the rest of the Republicans didn't think she would and and the the sickening thing is that a lot of us out there, amateur political scientists, are sitting out there saying, "Man, how did you not see that shit coming um, so so it actually makes me believe that uh, what a lot of people believe is you you held all of these people up to this high standard that in order to be an elected official, you, you, you were ultra educated and you were super smart and you were completely and utterly moral and, and you commanded that respect and trust. And, and all of these, all of these thoughts are being broken down. It's like being shown that Santa doesn't exist anymore. And it, and it, and it really enrages me. It pisses me off, and it and it makes me think that you're going to need some superhero to come in in the aftermath of all this in order to build up trust again. Um, and I don't think that superhero exists. I don't know if it's Larry Hogan. I don't know if it's Kirsten Gillibrand. I don't know if it's. Kamala Harris, I I don't know who it is.
3: I think you'd be willing to give them a pass on either side, if there was some honesty to your point about trust. If there was some honesty, either A, honesty on the side of the folks that that didn't prevail, where you say, hey, look, we tried this, it was very important to us, we thought, but in the end, uh, you you know, we couldn't get there, right? There was some humility um, in the discussion afterwards or on the side that did win, there wasn't the peacocking and uh, you know, high-fiving and, and whatnot. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it, it makes people looking at it really question if the sacrifice is, is worth it. Uh, and if there's anybody you know, really looking out for them or if it's only about political reputation.
1: You make some very good points, uh, very impassioned. Um, it's something that we're gonna continue to talk about and hopefully that superhero that you referenced will arrive sometime before February 15th. Uh, Folks, before we close tonight, we want to end on a bit of a lighter note. Uh, As you know, as some of you might know, this, uh, well, actually, next Sunday, February 3rd, the Los Angeles Rams will face the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 53. Mm. I know know some people are excited. If you're from New Orleans, uh, you could really give a damn. But listen, rather than break down the X's and O's here on Provision Advisors, the three-season podcast, Rather than break down the X's and O's and the bad zebra calls, we're going to talk about our favorite Super Bowl commercials over the years. Now, listen, the essence of the Super Bowl commercial has grown and grown and grown from one year to the next. Uh, You've got your uh, statements um, about uh, what's going on in the country, and you've got just the good old, hey, look, I want to have a beer. And today we're going to go go around the table and have a look back on what were our favorite Super Bowl commercials. And let me just tell you. Hands down, for my money, the best Super Bowl commercial. All I have to say is one thing: oh,
0: <laughs>
2: Come on! Man.
1: Hey, listen, that series of Budweiser commercials always gets me. I can go back on YouTube and look it up. And as it, I, I, I tell you, there was the, the original commercial. Hey, 2 hey. Yo, who's on the phone? Pick up the phone. Blah, blah. Listen, and then as a transition they brought the girlfriends into it, and then even after that once um uh, operation uh Desert Storm came into play and they and they uh had one of the guys calling back home. You know, he's, he's, he's in uniform and he's out there and he's calling uh, his friends back at home. Hey, pick up the phone. And he's out there on the battlefield and he has the courage to actually say, Waza! It just, it listen, uh, it, it hit me right in the heart. Something that sticks to me. Hey, sitting back, having a bud. Listen, was great for Budweiser. Uh, and, and that's uh, my best Super Bowl commercial. Bull, What what say you?
3: Oh wow, that's a hard one to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me it was the uh, the 1992 uh, Cindy Crawford Pepsi commercial. uh
0: Ooh, a, I remember that.
3: Small town, you know, dirt road. There's a general store, gas station. Uh, you know, the red Lamborghini comes tearing in. There's dust everywhere these two, you know, country boys are kind of across the street and they see the car and they're, you know, they're kind of peeking up through the fence. And then uh, you hear the music, Just One Look by uh, Doris Troy comes on and it sets the mood and out comes Cindy Crawford in, uh, you know, the shorts and, and white tank top. Uh, looks like she stepped right out of a guest ad. She seductively orders, you know, gets that Pepsi from the Pepsi machine, drinks it. And uh, the two boys, I think they close it out with, you you know, talking about, wow, that's a great looking Pepsi can. But I mean, just how they set the scene. And I I think I was, you know, maybe a sophomore in high school and uh, between the the Lamborghini and Cindy Crawford, uh, I'm not sure I even noticed that it was a Pepsi can until we decided (laughs) to talk about it. I I Uh, love how you dated
2: yourself, like right. right out of a Guess ad. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, what, what are we doing? Like United Colors Benetton too? Well, like, I mean that, that's Jesus. next week. Don't get
3: ahead. That's not get ahead of
2: ourselves. Let's
3: not get ahead of ourselves. Our oh, uh,
2: good times. Yeah, it's definitely good. Definitely good. John, John, how about you? For me, it's it's always every year, and they do it every year, and I love it. I'm just a sucker for these things. It's the polar bears, and um, you know they've got those kind of digitized animated polar bears and it's a, uh, and and it's a Coke commercial every year. It's like a little baby polar bear getting a little Coke bottle and it. it's just cute. It, it just makes sense. And from what I've heard, next year's polar bears are going to be holding like a little can of medicinal marijuana. Um, right.
0: <laughs>
2: and, and, and that's, that's really going to communicate what's important, but I, I found it important not to make it political again, that I, I found it interesting that, you know hey talking about medicinal marijuana didn't make the cut on Super Bowl yeah. commercials. Yeah. maybe next maybe next year we'll do that maybe next year it'll be someone's favorite commercial and that's a challenge i'd love to hey open open pitch out there for medicinal cannabis companies if you want me to help you make a commercial for how the you know how this product is better than booze or opioids Bring us in. Bring provision advisors in. We can all help you do this. But for for that to not make the cut as a Super Bowl commercial, and yet was that like getting your getting your Budweiser? Does um, you know maybe somewhere down the line it'll change. But uh, my 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 first medicinal cannabis commercial will involve the uh, Coca Cola polar bears.
1: John, no, you make you make a you make a great point. Something that Chris Long from the Philadelphia Eagles even uh, jumped on on Twitter, um, made a few comments about that medicinal medicinal excuse me marijuana ad not making the cut in this year's Super Bowl. Definitely something for us to talk about, uh, listeners. We want to hear from you. We we gave our favorite uh, Super Bowl commercials. What are your Super Bowl commercials? Please hit us up www.provisionadvisors.net or hit us up on Twitter at Pro v Advisors and tell us what your Super Bowl uh, favorite Super Bowl is. I don't care
2: what their opinions are unless they rate us four stars on iPod (laughs) or on Apple Podcasts. Like, you rate us fine, then go ahead and give me your opinion. Other than that, I don't care.
1: By all means, check us out on iTunes or SoundCloud. Once again, uh, check us out on www.provisionadvisors.net. Listen to the uh, podcast and tell us what you think. Hey, gentlemen, it's been a great week. Uh, lots of things happening. We'll come right back next week and talk about what, uh, what's going on out here uh, in the world. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for joining us here on Three Season a Pod. You're here with Sean, Chris, and John. We always welcome your feedback, so please leave a comment below. And until next week, as we always say, be good, be safe, and be better.
2: Three C's.
0: Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.